How many of you are blamers? How many of you, when something goes wrong, the first thing you want to know is whose fault it is? Hi, my name is Brene. I'm a blamer. <laughs> Let me just tell you this quick story. So this is a couple years ago when I first realized the magnitude to which I blame. I'm in my house. I have on white slacks and a pink sweater set, and I'm drinking a cup of coffee in my kitchen. It's a full cup of coffee. I drop it on the tile floor. It goes into a million pieces, splashes up all over me. And the first, I mean, a millisecond after it hit the floor, right out of my mouth is this. Damn you, Steve. <laughs> Who's my husband? Because let me tell you how fast this works for me. So Steve plays water polo with a group of friends. And the night before, he went to go play water polo. And I said, hey, make sure you come back at 10, because you know, I can never fall asleep into your home. And he got back like at 10.30. And so I went to bed a little bit later than I thought. Ergo, my second cup of coffee that I probably would not be having had he come home when we discussed. Therefore, and so the rest of that story is I'm cleaning up um, the kitchen. Steve calls, caller ID. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey, what's going on, babe? What's going on? Um, <laughs> so I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I'm cleaning up the coffee that spilled all, like dial tone. Because he knows. How many of you go to that place when something bad happens, the first thing you want to know is whose fault is it? I'd rather it be my fault than no one's fault. Because why? Why? Because it gives us some semblance of control. But here, if you enjoy blaming, this is where you should stick your fingers in your ear and do the na 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 thing because I'm getting ready to ruin it for you. Because here's what we know from the research. Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt about this and talking. It's not blaming. Blaming is simply a way that we discharge anger. People who blame a lot seldom have the tenacity and grit to actually hold people accountable because we expend all of our energy raging for 15 seconds and figuring out whose fault something is. And blaming is very corrosive in relationships, and it's one of the reasons we miss our opportunities for empathy. Because when something happens and we're hearing a story, we're not really listening. We're in the place where I was making the connections as quickly as we can about whose fault something was. Well, you were just listening to some more Brene Brown on this week's episode of the podcast. And when I heard Brene Brown talk about blame and accountability, I cringed. I am a black belt, a black belt in blame. And this plagued me for years as a coach. Uh, still plagues me today in some ways. Um, you know, a turnover would happen, the locker room's messy, a player shows up late, uh, we lose a game we shouldn't have, lost, and I'd get angry. I'd get really angry and lash out at the players. I'd blame them. I'd blame them for whatever went wrong, and I would justify all that blame, well, with somebody has to be held accountable, right? Somebody has to be held accountable. In the day, it was kind of a bunch of nonsense, my justifications for it, so, you know, when you think about it. It was a lack of ownership on my part as a leader. And you cannot get to the root of the problem when you are just stewing in anger. It just doesn't work. 
Now, my issues aren't everybody's issues as a coach. Right? As coaches, we often swing from blame and punishment to permissiveness. And maybe we practice empathy and we're show, good at showing understanding, but we fail to practice empathy and accountability. We let them off the hook. We rescue them from the consequences of their poor decisions and we make excuses for them. Oftentimes, I hear coaches label uh, this grace, right? When I hear coaches talk a lot about grace, I start to worry. Giving your players grace, that's often code for, I'm just going to give them more chances, more do-overs without consequences. Now, I'm all about second and third chances. I'm all about do-overs. But there need to be consequences. We need accountability. Players need to be held responsible for their decisions. Now, if we practice empathy and accountability, we have a greater chance of avoiding disconnection, a rupture in the relationship. And this is vitally important if we want to have the impact that we want to have in the lives of our players and build that incredible team culture. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. My name is JP Nurman, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. Each week, in around 30 minutes, we discuss common issues and challenges in leadership and coaching. Our hope is the two of us and every listener leaves a little more equipped at the end of the day to be a better leader and to build a better culture within their team, within their classroom, their business, and their family. If you want to learn more about how we help coaches, head on over to tocculture.com. You can also get the notes to this episode by just subscribing to our weekly newsletter. Now, we're going to pick up from last week's episode. If you missed it, be sure to go back and listen to that before you listen to this week's episode. Uh, And, you know, we were talking about empathy and and where we as coaches struggle there. Now it's time for us to talk a little bit about accountability. Now, that kind of brings us to the second half of our conversation here, JP, and that that empathy alone is not enough. Like empathy makes accountability or efforts to hold players accountable, to ask them to be disciplined. It makes us more effective. But there are also challenges for coaches to hold their players accountable. You just finished up writing a book essentially about this topic here. What are some of the challenges that you see coaches struggle with when it comes to holding their players accountable? Well, without a doubt, the first place that I see coaches struggle in this is self-accountability. Like before we can hold our players accountable, we have to hold ourselves accountable. And a lot of the behaviors that we as coaches struggle with when it comes to our players um, their mistake response, how they respond to referees, maybe even just some of our own like, personal hygiene habits around sleep and nutrition and stuff that we you know, expect of our players. We don't really seem to, to hold ourselves accountable to those things at, at all. And if we're not, if we're not setting the example for our players, then how can we expect to be able to hold them accountable and them to, to, to respond to that in a positive way? Well, you know, JP, I wrote something similar in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago when I had this informal panel of student athletes in a class that I was substituting in and asking them what makes a good coach anyway. And the number one thing that they came back to, their number one complaint about coaches is when the coach says you have to be punctual, you have to be here on time or you run and then they're late to practice or the coach that you know says you got to have your jersey tucked in and your hat's got to be a certain way. And then they roll in with their shirt untucked and their hat on backwards. Like nothing frustrated at least that group of athletes more than when the coach doesn't demonstrate the standard that they're asking them to live up to. So another area I I definitely see coaches struggling 
um, when it comes to accountability is when we're really focusing on empathy and trying to understand and show understanding, uh, we can become hesitant to share and tell the truth. And love doesn't exist without truth. And there is definitely a place for us to, you know, to listen, as we said earlier, and to empathize. But when it comes to communicating truth to our players, we need to be intentional about how we deliver that truth. So that is giving it the best chance of it being received the right way, right? We can't be, you know, throwing 90 mile per hour softballs to a five-year-old, right? When it comes to some of these truth bombs, right? But we still need to give the truth. And I, I, I think, and I see so many coaches not share the truth in a way that players actually hear that truth because they're so afraid of it hurting their feelings or how they're going to take that, 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 uh, that feedback. And I think that, you know, is a level of accountability that a lot of players are really missing. Well, I can appreciate that struggle because what do you hear most about, you know, the impact that we can have as a coach or a teacher? What's the line? They're not going to remember what you taught them. They're going to remember how you made them feel, right? And so when we're having those conversations about playing time or their roles or what's expected of them or areas they need to improve, I do think there's they're part of all of us, right? Nobody wants to let anybody down or disappoint them or quote unquote, make them feel bad. But at the same time, you can't, as you mentioned, you can't have accountability. Like you really can't have an honest conversation if there are certain topics that, or, you know, subjects or conversations that are off limits. And so, yes, I think you can do that in a way that's tactful. I think you can prepare players for the potential stress of that conversation but at the same time, I, I don't think it can be avoided if you're, if you're trying to hold the line of accountability with your team. Now, definitely another area that coaches struggle in, in a couple of ways with uh, on accountability is the consequences. And I, I know as a coach, you know, for years, the consequences of not meeting standards, the way I held players accountable was yell, scream, make them run. And as I decided that that was not the best approach, I was left not really knowing what to do. So I see a lot of coaches, and when it comes to accountability, they're very, some people would say it's transactional. It's just very harsh. They use shame, blame, yelling, you know, conditioning type of stuff to discipline. Or, you know, they're kind of just shell-shocked and they just kind of maybe throw in and pepper in some encouragement and, and hope for the best, you know? there's a lot of letting them off the hook. And I think when it comes to accountability, it is tough. We have to deliver. We have to be tough with our players. And that means hold them to a standard. And, and the best way that one of the best ways that I see that, especially around effort or attitude in a practice in those moments is we can show empathy, understanding that they're having a hard time there. And we can ask them maybe what's going on. If we feel like their efforts a little bit off and it's unusual. But we've got to come back to the idea that practice is a privilege. It's an opportunity to get better. Being a part of this team is a privilege. It's not something they should just assume or they're not entitled to. And so we need more coaches that avoid or we need more coaches that don't jump to this you know, yelling, screaming, putting them on the line, making them run. Um, but we also need more coaches that don't continuously allow their players to, you know, 
to, to get away with mediocre effort or a crappy attitude. And we need coaches that want to step in and engage and remind them of that privilege, of that opportunity, and just ask them to step out of the drill, ask them to step off that practice until they're ready to come back in and, and start to work hard or have the attitude that they know they're capable of giving. And I think just how you deliver that message, you can still have empathy and accountability there. And, and you can instill confidence in there. Hey, I know you're having a tough day, but we know you can meet the standard. I know you're capable. And when you're ready to start coming in and giving that effort that I know you're capable of, you can hop right back in. That to me is a, you know, a clear moment of empathy and accountability working together. Well, I think in what you're describing there, JP, in many ways, it's an art form to try to figure out what is the right progressive consequence, so to speak, to, to reach that player without overreacting to that player with the ultimate goal of bringing them back to the standard rather than punishing them or alienating them or you know separating them from the team, whatever it might be. And I, I think back to an example we had a couple of weeks ago in one of our summer workouts. And in our open gyms, we get a wide range of players from, you know, some of our middle school kids come in all the way up to varsity players. And it's a hodgepodge, right? So this is the week after we had done our high school camp. And one of the things that we talked about at camp was, you know, what, what does the energy feel like in our gym when we're at our best? You know, players describe that you know, they're, they're vocal and they're encouraging and they cheer for each other and they thank the passer, you know, and all those kinds of things. So we come into this workout and the first 15 minutes are, are just none of those things. I mean, they're just, there's not a good energy level, no communication. There's not a lot of effort. And so we just stopped and I just brought him into the circle and I said, listen, we talked about this last week and we're not doing any of those things. So here's the deal. Like I'm not coaching us when we're like this. So we either we need to come up with something to add some energy or we're just going to go home, you know? And so I asked them, what are a couple of things we can do? Uh, we could do this. We could talk to each other, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, we'll try it again. But if we don't fix it, we're taking the rest of the day off. You know, and just, again, we put it in their hands. We let them go back into it. The last 45 minutes were much improved, right? No yelling, no get on the baseline, no threats, no shaming, no putting it on the leadership. It's just a very straightforward conversation. But again, the workout was a privilege, exactly as you said. It's a privilege at the standards that we set for each other. If we don't meet that, try again tomorrow. And you know what I love about that story, Nate, is so many other coaches, they complain, they'll go through the whole session or the whole practice, they'll get to the end of it and they'll just get together as a bunch of coaches together and say, our efforts stunk today. That was horrible. They won't have any, done anything about it except complain about it or at the end of practice, tell the team, yeah, your attitude stunk today or your efforts stunk today. And if you keep that up, we're not going to be champions this year, right? We give that lecture. Bottom line is we get what we tolerate, you know, and, and this, this is part of coaching. You know, it's not just teaching the drill or running the offense or the defense. It's it, part of coaching is, is getting in there and, and correcting and helping to teach and, 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 and instruct and, and, and hold your players to a standard. So do your job, you know, stop complaining about it. At, after every practice, they don't work hard. Now, another thing that I see coaches, not just coaches, I see people all across the board um, do is when it comes to accountabilities, we, we always want it to be really painful. Like it's got to really suck or else I'm not really holding them accountable. And, and yeah, there's definitely times where um, consequences, you know, you want them to have a, a little bit of pain there. Um, but it shouldn't be our, just our pure intent. And it was interesting. We had a, you know, a team recently 
where there was an incident between two players in the team that kind of were, had grown apart as the, the season had, had gone along and, um, you know, they weren't connecting and they were kind of used to be friends. And there was obviously, you know, some rupture or damage in that re- relationship. And they got into a fight in, in the cafeteria and they ended up making this big, big mess in the cafeteria. And it's not a good look, obviously, and all those things. And all the administrators and, and many, you know, people and coaches are just like, well, that's going to be in-school suspensions. And they're going to the, all the traditional types of punishment. And I remember just thinking what these guys need to do is they need to make up for their mistake, right? They obviously made a mess. So they should just spend a week together cleaning the cafeteria with the cafeteria staff. It's a way to repay. Hey, we made a mess there. They're going to make up for that. They're obviously taking responsibility for their actions, but it gives them an opportunity to spend three, four, five hours over the course of a week together and an opportunity to reconnect and to rebuild that relationship that is that is suffering at the time. It's what we're really talking about here is don't go at consequences of, okay, how can I make this painful to teach a lesson? Instead, go, you know, what's the real issue here? What's the potential solution to this problem long-term? Well, JP, at the end of the day, you know, in our notes here that we've kind of been working from on this podcast, you put up a graphic um, from the neurosequential model of sport, which is being designed by Dr. Bruce Perry and Megan Bartlett and some of the friends of, of the podcast there. And one of the things that comes up in their work, and we've mentioned this repeatedly on the podcast, is that players or adolescents, children, whatever it might be, they develop resilience when they face stress that is predictable, moderate, and controlled, or they have some control in the situation. And the other side of that is when, when they face stress that is unpredictable or severe or prolonged, or they have no control over any of the, the variables that are causing the stress, that leads them to a place of persistent dysregulation or they're stressed out and anxious because, because they don't have any of those variables. So w- what does that all mean? Like what, when we're talking about balancing empathy and accountability, what are some good examples? Well, well here's one. You go through a season two, three, four months long, there's going to be a practice or two or maybe more where as a coach, you're going to want to hold your players past the time that you have scheduled for them to leave. And this happens to all of us. We feel the pressure of getting ready for an opponent. So we say, look, we're going to hold you a little bit later. Now, there's two ways to approach that. So one is what we've tried to do is ask the player's permission hey guys, can I have 10 more minutes because I really want to go through these two out-of-bounds plays because I know we're going to see them tomorrow. Now, if the team, are they really going to say, no coach, we all got to go? Well, sometimes they do. If they're going to another practice afterwards or they have some kind of an appointment or they've got to work, and I'll take responsibility for it. My fault we didn't get to that. But, but most of the time, what I'm trying to communicate is, okay, you can give us permission, number one, so that it's controlled. I'm trying to tell them this ahead of time so it's somewhat predictable and it's moderate. I'm talking about 10 minutes here, okay? That that helps them to build resilience and there's a partnership involved. I'm seeing their situation, but we're still getting done what needs to be done. I was just having a conversation with one of my former players that played for four years uh, college basketball. Just came home, she took a job and she's been coming to some of our open gyms and we were talking about this, about coaches that get their players out or don't get those players out on time. And she said, our coach in college we never knew when we were getting out of practice. And so what that meant was every single day it was unpredictable. She didn't know if she could schedule a study group. She didn't know if she could go work at a certain time because they might go 
30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes it'd be filmed. They'd go an hour past what was on the schedule. And so every time she said it, they got toward the end of practice. It felt like this collective anxiety because nobody knew how much longer are we going to have to be here? It was prolonged. It, It was up to an hour. That's pretty severe when you're just taking that time away from somebody. And the fact that it was, they didn't know when it was going to happen night in and night out, it led to more anxiety rather than resilience. And I think that's a good example of as a coach, like a lot of that's on us. You know, I think back to my days as a teacher and one of the few things maybe that I did well in the classroom is I made a commitment my last couple of years. I told our kids and the parents of our kids, I will never give a homework assignment that's due the next day. Because I started to see they're on the road on a Tuesday night or they have to work. They've got all these things going on outside of the school day. I wanted to, number one, acknowledge that, as we've talked about here, be empathetic to all the things that are going on in the kid's life. But at the same time, there is work that needs to be done. And so by saying you'll always have two days to get an assignment done, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy in those 48 hours for them to do it, but it gives them more control. It's a little bit more moderate expectation and it's predictable. So they know. Mr. Sanders is always going to give them a couple of days that helps them to build resiliency versus the opposite, right? Of just saying, this is what has to be done. It's got to be due here because that's what my timeline says. And so I think the more that we can do to partner with our players to understand the situations that they're coming from, and I'll do this with my captains, JP, every week, I'll say, here's what I think we need. What's the best way for us to do that? Is it to do film before or after practice? Is it to do weights on Monday or Tuesday? Like I give them some, some ownership over the schedule without necessarily moving the goalposts back all the time. If I get any sort of, of pushback or brushback, we try to be solution-oriented and work together towards it so that, yes, we can be accountable to the things that need to be done, but we can do so in a way where we're seeing the plight of the athlete and the struggles and some of their obstacles and trying to work together to find a find the best path forward. Well, it's just like my friend Jack Easterby says. Uh, Jack's the former culture coach of the New England Patriots and general manager of the Houston Texans. And Jack says, accountability starts with accounting for one's ability. And, and this requires us getting to the root of the problem. As coaches, we have a responsibility to help develop the skills, the character in our players. We have a responsibility to hold them accountable. But we are not responsible for them. We are not responsible for their poor choices. We just have a responsibility to coach and mentor them. And that requires both empathy and accountability. Now, if the last two episodes resonate with you, if you feel this is an area you need to grow, boy, do I know the book for you. New York Times bestselling, just kidding. Uh, My newest book, The Culture System, A Proven Process for Creating an Extraordinary Team Culture. A core of the book is about accountability. So I guarantee you, if you read it, you won't regret it. In fact, it will change you as a leader and your team's culture. You can get it on Amazon. Also, links are in the details of this episode. They are also at myculturesystem.com. It's sold all over the world. So absolutely no excuses to get it, right? Regardless, thank you for listening to the Coaching Culture Podcast.